This episode is sponsored by the Learn Jazz Standards Inner Circle. If your goal is to level up your jazz playing this year and feel confident improvising over jazz standards, the Inner Circle has everything you need and more. With monthly jazz standard studies, a library of powerful courses, and a vibrant community of like-minded musicians, you're guaranteed to improve your playing every single month. Podcast listeners can get 50% off their first month when you go to ljsinnercircle.com. That's ljsinnercircle.com or find the link in the show notes. Now, on to today's episode. On today's episode, I'm going to be sharing with you what my philosophy is for teaching and learning how to play jazz, give you the big picture and kind of why I believe these things. Let's do this thing. Welcome to the LJS Podcast, where you get weekly jazz tips, interviews, stories, and advice for becoming a better jazz musician. And now your host, he's a jazz musician, author, and entrepreneur, Brent Bartstra. Hey, what's up everybody? Brent here from Learn Jazz Standards, where we help musicians just like you learn how to play jazz all while shortening the learning curve, no matter what instrument you play. Hey, welcome to another episode of the show. So happy to be here. Now, if you are listening for the very first time, this is actually a great episode to listen to if you're brand new to the podcast, because I am going to be sharing what is my overarching philosophy for how to learn and how I teach jazz, because uh, I do think that, you know, many teachers, they kind of do come up with their own philosophies, their own style, their own beliefs around teaching music, or in our case here, specifically jazz. And I've certainly developed what I believe are um, great ways to learn jazz and ways that I find most effective. And for those of you who've been listening to the show for quite a while, you probably have heard a lot of these things, but they're kind of just scattered all over the place. And you may wonder, well, Brent, can you just put it under one big umbrella for me? Like exactly what is your teaching method? What do you really recommend as far as learning jazz? So I'm going to be covering several different common aspects around teaching jazz and learning jazz and giving you my general philosophies as we go along. Uh, Of course, today's episode is sponsored by our very own LJS Inner Circle membership. And a lot of these philosophies I'm going to share with you today, you'll see very much so in action in our Inner Circle membership. Uh, In our Inner Circle membership, we do monthly jazz standard studies. We learn a new jazz standard every single month together in our Jazz Standards Club. Uh, We work on an etude. We work on uh, note mapping exercises. We work on chords analysis. There's a training video. But we also have lots of practice program courses that help you with um, jazz blues. We just came out with the Rhythm Changes Accelerator course minor blues, uh, ear training courses. We have all kinds of stuff. We even have courses for uh, filling in the gaps in musical knowledge, our Basics 101 courses, where we do stuff like how how do you make scales musical? How do you play bebop? How do you analyze jazz standards? We're even coming out with a basics uh, piano 101 for non-piano players and piano players this month. So we're always coming out with new ones of those as well. Um, And we also have instrument accelerator courses for bass, guitar, piano, saxophone, uh, trumpet. Uh, So those are helpful as well. We do live Q&A calls every single month. So you can ask me or a member of my team questions that you're having as we go along. It's really the best community for learning jazz online in my humble opinion. So we'd love to have you join uh, over a thousand other musicians that we have in there who play all sorts of instruments, you know, and uh, we'd just love to have you. So go to ljsinnercircle.com, ljsinnercircle.com. 
uh, now is the best time, right? Uh, tomorrow is, uh, there's always tomorrow, but today is the best day. So sign up today, lgsinnercircle.com. Okay, my philosophies on learning and teaching jazz. All right, and so again, like the value of what I'm about to share with you is you may wonder, what is the best way to learn jazz? What should I be focusing on? Hey, I've listened to a lot of advice here on the podcast or on YouTube and all kinds of stuff. And where what's really the, the easiest path for? What should I do? What does Brent really recommend? And so this is really me consolidating a lot of what I've taught. Now, another thing I want to mention too, especially if you're someone who's been listening to the podcast, or just following me for years and years and years, and that is that my philosophies have evolved over time. Like naturally, just like human beings do. Um, and as you learn more information, as you grow, as you encounter more situations, um, especially as a teacher, like my philosophies have evolved a little bit, especially as um, I've developed more into someone who who really defines themselves more as a music um, coach, right? Ra- a jazz coach, rather than even just a jazz teacher or even a jazz musician, right? I mean, obviously, I am a jazz musician, but um, things change, right? As your life changes. So that's to keep in mind as well. Before we dive into certain different aspects, such as jazz improvisation and practicing and theory and stuff like that, which I will go into philosophies, specific philosophies on all of those. I think it's good to go over some core philosophies that I really stand by that kind of apply to all of them. Okay. Um, so these are important to, to keep in mind. And I know you'll have heard some of these, uh, before if, um, you are familiar with the show, but number one is, uh, the, my first core philosophy is to keep it simple. Okay. Keep it simple. So what I found over the years is the more complicated we make jazz out to be, which oftentimes, um, we, we do naturally just because people told us that it's complicated because we hear the music and we think it's complicated, but the more complicated we make it out to be the general less progress you're really going to have. So I always like to think when I'm teaching jazz, how do I keep this, um, as simple as I can. In fact, I'm always trying to figure out new ways to keep it more simple. And, you know, even like a recent course I came out with, I have changed it to compare to some other courses I've done simply because I was like, we need to keep this even more simple because that's in my experience, how I, but definitely how I've seen other of my students um, learn is just by keeping things simple, keeping things very basic and plain, not trying to overcomplicate something that doesn't need to be overcomplicated, right? And I do believe jazz can be simple. I even wrote a whole book. In fact, it's the is it the two year anniversary um, of my book, Jazz Improvisation Made Simple. You find it on Amazon if you're interested. But um, but it's called Jazz Improvisation Made Simple because I really want the concept to be made simple for others. Okay. So that's one is keep it simple. And two is to keep it fun because, um, and this one really has a personal note to it to me. I mean, a lot of times um, throughout my career, when I look back at my music career, there's a lot of times where obviously I love jazz and I love music. And that's why I was really engaging so seriously in it, but I wasn't having fun, right? I was just putting a lot of pressure on myself, um, constantly unhappy with the way I sounded, the way I was playing, um, forcing myself to work on things um, in such a way that were very, um, 
uh, arduous sometimes or, uh, or or not allowing myself to move on to something if I was getting bored, right? And and so that that doesn't really work in my uh, experience for keeping people motivated to practice, right? So you always want to keep it fun. So if there's a certain way you like to practice, certain things you like to practice, um, if you need to move on to another subject, uh, things like this. Just always trying to figure out how do we keep it fun and how do we basically take the pressure off? Even if it's just, you know, me telling students like in our inner circle membership, I'm always saying like, hey, you don't need to do everything, right? Um, hey, are you having fun doing this? Okay, move on to something else. Try something else right now, right? Because if we're if we're not having fun, we're not going to be motivated to continue um, improving as jazz musicians, right? So number two is keep it fun. Number three is keep it consistent, okay? Keep it consistent. Um so one big thing that, uh, and I'll talk more about this when I talk about practicing, but to me, it's more important to be consistent about what you're working on and practicing than working on or like spending a lot of time practicing essentially, right? So for example, I would way rather you just practice several times a week for a very short period of time, 15 minutes, 30 minutes, whatever, um, then, you know, have one, one day a week or even one day every other week or two days every other week where you practice for like, um, three hours or something like that. Right. I just way rather consistency. Cause I, I find that's really what's, what's helped me with the learning the language of jazz is just, you know, hearing it a lot, uh, on a regular basis, um, touching my instrument a lot, getting muscle memory going, things like that. So I always try to teach my students to, to stay consistent not that you have to you should feel bad if you miss a practice session but rather just to focus on um you know making sure that you're able to be consistent not necessarily focusing on large amounts of practice time all at once okay and the last core philosophy is one that i've repeated a lot on this podcast is uh perfection is the enemy of progress um perfection is the enemy of progress so it's really easy to get really tied up in trying to be perfect at improvising over a song, um, being perfect all around. And in general, I find that this becomes very demotivating because ultimately becoming a great musician, especially when we're talking about a jazz improviser, it is not perfect. Um, it will take, you know, you never will stop improving. There's always going to be a little bit of dissatisfaction with where you're at. And so if you're always trying to get everything perfect before moving on to other things, which you can learn more lessons from, you know, you're going to really be slowing down your progress. So I'm more of a, of a guy that would recommend moving on to something new than staying put in one place just because you're trying to make sure that there are zero flaws. Okay. So that's another core philosophy. So just to sum up those core philosophies for you, um, number one is keep it simple. Number two is keep it fun. Number three is keep it consistent. And number four is perfection is the enemy of progress. Okay. So those are my core philosophies that I wanted to share with you because those are, th those are just sort of overarching ones that bleed into all the other philosophies um, that I'll talk about. Okay. So let's kind of like go to the next philosophy, which is what is the, um, the, what is the most basic important way to learn jazz okay what is the most important thing to be focusing on and quite frankly i do think that there are um, a lot of teachers may say this um, but not maybe as explicitly as i say it right um, or they they or or some may even disagree with me about this but for me um, if if you're trying to learn how to play jazz and certainly when i'm teaching jazz 
I I think the number one thing that you can be doing is learning new jazz standards, okay? Just learn jazz standards. And to some people, that sounds obvious because it's like, well, ja- when we're talking about jazz, normally we're referring to playing songs like All of Me and, you know, maybe Fee Five Oh Fun by Wayne Shorter, but, you know, like all the things you are and Stella by Starlight, like those are the, like, that's kind of like the songs we're talking about. So of course you need to learn them. Um, but what I even mean so more by using jazz standard, learning jazz standards is not really even thinking about jazz standards as like this separate entity, like, oh, this is one of the things we do. Like well, it is, but it's more like the over overarching all-encompassing thing that we do. And for example, I've talked before in my trainings and certainly on this podcast before how I like to think of jazz standards as uh, like a pizza, right? So, uh, or rather learning jazz is a pizza, but the crust, right? The bottom of the entire pizza is the jazz standard. And then let's say the cheese is like, um, you know, learning an etude, like learning a solo by ear or something like that. And then the the pepperoni is like technique, like working on instrument specific technique or your scales or whatever. And I also go like, well, hey, let's say that you can apply all those things to a jazz standard, right? The pizza, the crust, like you put everything on top of it. Um, and so that's where I think is is the number one most important thing about my philosophy as far as like, hey, what should you actually be practicing? Um, and again, goes back to the keep it simple core philosophy. Like we can make everything a lot simpler if we just go like, hey, we need to be working on jazz standards. And oh, hey, we also do need to be working on a little bit of jazz theory, but it's, it, yeah, we need to like experiment with those and understand them separately, maybe like just on their own. Like how do we, what is a tritone substitution anyways, or whatever. But ultimately, I want to be applying all this stuff to a jazz standard. I want to like be using a context because I think that we understand and we learn things better with context, right? So if, if we're, we're learning a jazz standard and let's just say someone taught you to play, um, I, I don't know, a melodic minor theory idea over top of dominant seventh chords, right? So you learn like that's a that's a cool concept, but until you're actually looking at a context, like a set of chord progressions within a jazz standard and understanding what that actually looks like, it may not actually even stick that much. It just be a, a cool concept you learn, not necessarily something you can apply. So um that's what I mean by that. So my philosophy for the, the basics, like the main thing you should be working on and focusing on is learning jazz standards, but applying everything to a jazz standard. Okay. So then, and the, the, again, that's why for those who are my inner circle members, that's why we do the jazz standards club, which, which is where we study a new jazz standard every single month. And that's kind of like one of the most core features of our membership is because that is such a big part of the philosophy that we have, right? We we really believe that like if you are at least learning one new jazz standard a month, like you're going to be in pretty good shape. Like you have pretty much no choice to improve if you've even just at a basic level learned that new jazz standard, okay? So that is that. Okay, now I've sort of hinted at this. Let's go to the topic of jazz standards themselves though, right? So what do I believe about learning jazz standards? Okay. So I believe that you should at the very least learn the melody by ear. Okay. 
to learn the melody by ear. And now a lot of people talk about um, learning music by ear for jazz and for improvisation. And that's a pain point for a lot of people that are used to reading music. Maybe you're classically trained. Uh, maybe you, you know, you're just not used to learning music by ear. And I- I'm not necessarily someone who's through things and we'll maybe get deeper into this philosophy in a second, but I'm not necessarily someone who thinks that you have to learn everything by ear. Um, I'm not, I'm not someone actually, who's actually that rigid about how to learn jazz. I do just think that at the very least, learn the melody of a jazz standard by ear, cause it's going to be so beneficial for you. Uh, it's, it's just, it's something that you want to know so well, and you'll know it so much better by learning it by ear, as well as learning from a bunch of different recordings will better reflect how you would actually express or phrase a jazz melody versus if you, if you read a music, uh, a piece of, uh, a jazz standard melody out of a sheet piece of sheet music or the real book, it really is going to sound robotic and not reflect as much the style or the intent of the way a, a jazz melody is to be expressed. So learn the melody by ear. Okay. That's, that is, that is my main thing with that. Um, as far as chord changes, like feel free to use chord charts to help you. Yes. It's a good idea to, try to learn them by ear, even though that's a more complex concept for a lot of people, but I'm totally fine with using chord charts to do it. But the main thing is to memorize them. So huge philosophy of mine is get out of the book, get out of the pages. Like if you're stuck there and, you know, I've had a lot of folks who first enter the inner circle tell me like, hey, Brent, one big challenge for me is I've just been stuck for so long in the sheet music and I feel like I'm enslaved to it. And my big goal coming in here is to get out of that. And, you know, that's a big pain point for a lot of people. And one thing that I'm just always saying is memorize, 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 memorize. Because um, even if you are learning a melody from a a piece of sheet music or the chords from a piece of sheet music or a solo um, by reading it, if you're memorizing it, you're at least getting those benefits of internalizing that language. Okay. So chords, yeah, feel free to, to learn, um, them from a a piece of sheet music chord chart, but please do memorize it. Okay. So that's that. Um, as far as what jazz standards to learn, um, any of them, right? Like it doesn't really actually technically matter which ones you learn. There's obviously certain ones that are more beginner friendly, and I'm not going to go into those right now. Um, there are good ones to work on, but you know, um, really it, it doesn't really matter because a lot of jazz standards are similar to each other. Um, but they all are a little bit different in their own way. So if you learn one jazz standard, you're going to learn a lot about harmony. Um, you're going to hear chord changes better. You'll recognize certain chord progressions and movements, and it'll really help. Okay. Um, now, uh, other philosophies on learning jazz standards. Um, and this one, this one is not unique by any stretch. Like a lot of people will tell you to do this. But my thing is when you're learning a jazz standard and trying to memorize a jazz standard, is do use Roman numeral analysis or at least some kind of numerical system to understand chords, okay? So in other words, I don't want you to be thinking about autumn leaves as C minor 7, F7, B flat major 7, E flat major 7, A minor 7 flat 5, D7 flat 9, G minor 7. Like, I don't want you to be thinking about it that way. I'd way rather you be thinking about it as a 2-5-1 to B flat major, the four chord, 
and then a 251 to G minor. Or you could also analyze it like, you know, it, it, all from a minor key perspective. It doesn't matter. But I would rather you do it that way because you're going to memorize it a lot easier. And you're going to really simplify again, going back to my course, my core philosophy, keep it simple, right? We want to keep it simple. You're going to simplify that harmony for yourself rather than having to really think about each chord individually. You're just understanding the way the chords are moving and the the basic structure of the tune, which will help you transpose a lot easier when the time comes, which will help you learn other jazz standards so much easier, help you memorize the jazz standards so much easier. And yes, it will force you to um, become proficient in what is a 251 in X key, right? So it's a really good thing to do. So analyzing by Roman numeral analysis, okay, is, a, is, is something that I definitely teach. We definitely do that a lot in uh, my inner circle membership and courses as well, is we want to have some basic understanding of what those Roman numerals are, okay? So that's jazz standards themselves, like how to learn them. Um, I think one last thing I want to say about my philosophy is while I did say there's no specific jazz standards you should or shouldn't learn, I did mention I do have lists, but I do think it can be helpful if you're learning jazz standards that you are enjoying, right? That can be helpful for the learning process. That goes to the core philosophy of keep it fun. If you don't really enjoy a jazz standard or aren't really into it, you might not learn it so well. I also do think that if you are to really focus on any kind of jazz standard, to only learn one a month. And I'll go into a little bit more of that with practicing, but one a month is to me better than learning a bunch uh, of them in a month or or even fewer than that because I think one mar- month is a good amount of time to really give yourself some time to work on a tune and not to say goodbye to it forever, but giving yourself the permission at that point to move on to the next one. Um, and that way you're not overwhelming yourself, right? Keeping it simple, right? Um, and then perfection is the enemy of progress. Like we're not going to perfect that jazz standard, but you can move on to the next one after that. And then of course, you know, there still, there are some song forms like rhythm changes in the blues that you should really focus on, um, and really make sure you could play those very proficiently because those two song forms are just so important in jazz. So know how to play a blues in multiple keys. Um, if, if not all 12 keys, it was really helpful. Rhythm changes, really important to know. Um, B flat is really the main one. It could be helpful to learn it in another key, but mostly just spend a lot of time learning some rhythm changes, heads, bebop ones, and otherwise. And just knowing those those chord changes really well, because there are lots of tunes that are based off of rhythm changes. And if you go to a jam session or play a gig, um, it's just one of those things where, okay, now let's do a rhythm changes tune, right? So you want to know them. And oh, now let's do a blues tune. So make sure you know those song forms really well. Okay, that's jazz standards. Let's move on to jazz theory. Okay, what is my philosophy on jazz theory? Well, my my main philosophy on jazz theory is that you actually don't need to know that much jazz theory to play jazz. <laughs> and I know there are some people that will, uh, other teachers that may disagree with me a little bit on this because... You know they're gonna they're gonna call me and go like, well, hey man, honestly, you're just like those you're like those people that are saying, oh, just learn everything by ear, or you'll hear it. Um, and that's not at all. That's not at all what I think about jazz theory. What I do think though is that people put an overemphasis on jazz theory, both players and teachers. 
uh, we like to make jazz so much about theory that again, it overcomplicates it, right? It overcomplicates what's actually happening. So let's break down um, just the basics here. So as far as what do you need to know about jazz theory? Like what are the main things you need to know for jazz um, and go from there? So the first thing I would say you need to know is the the five basic qualities of seventh chords and know how to play them on your instrument, whether you're a horn player and arpeggiating them or whether you're a guitar or a piano player and you can play the actual chords. But know how to play your major sevenths, your minor sevenths, your dominant sevenths, your half diminished sevenths, and your fully diminished sevenths. And yes, it's great to know your triads as well, but really when we're playing jazz, it's a lot about those seventh chords. Okay, so know those. The next thing I'll say about chords is understand what the major diatonic series is and what the minor diatonic series is. Okay, what do I mean by that? Like that might sound like um, complicated music theory, but what it really just means is it means that we under we need to understand how to harmonize a major scale with seventh chords. So if we have a C major scale, we need to understand that the one chord is C major seven, and the two chord is D minor seven, and the three chord is E minor seven, and the four chord is F major seven, and the five chord is G seven, and the sixth chord is A minor seven, and the seventh chord is B minor seven flat five, right? That's essentially if you just write out a C major scale and then you stack a third on top of each scale tone and then another third and then another third, it just naturally will spell out those chords that I just listed to you. And if you don't understand that, that's where it's going to be difficult for you to understand, you know, chord progressions and memorizing jazz standards and certainly Roman numeral analysis, because that's where a two, five, one comes from, right? The two chord is D minor seven in the key of concert C major. The five chord is G seven and the one chord is C major seven. So understanding that is really important. Now, that's actually not that difficult. Once you understand the basic concept of how that works, that's actually not that difficult to understand in my personal opinion. Um, and if you're listening to this right now and you are lost on that, um, I, I we're not going to go over it in today's episode. Um, I do have other resources on that. I am, certainly, if you're one of my Inner Circle members, we do have a course on that. But um, what I will say, though, is I guarantee you with just a little bit more depth and understanding, you will understand it and it will make a lot more sense to you. The more complicated one, but still important to understand is minor, the minor diatonic series. And this one is more complicated because we don't just have one scale where like the major, we have C majors, this, like not C, but just the major scale. Well, for with minor keys, we have three scales. We have the natural minor scale, the harmonic minor scale, and the melodic minor scale. Okay, so three scales you can harmonize. But generally, what I would say is you don't need to necessarily memorize the harmonizations of all of those. It's more like just understanding the basics, like a two, five, one in, uh, let's say, concert C minor is the two chord is a half diminished chord, so it's D minor seven flat five. Your five chord is a dominant seven chord, so G seven, and then C minor seven. But there's also certain things that are helpful to know as well. Like you could play a C minor major seven as the one chord, and that's a result you would get if you harmonize the melodic minor scale. And it's good to know, like what's the sixth chord? Well, there are a few different options actually, depending on how you harmonize the 
um, minor scale, which minor scale you harmonize. But you know, the most common one you're going to hear um, in jazz, especially like hard bop and stuff like that, is the sixth chord was, is a minor seven flat five chord. So, so a one six two five in C minor would be C minor seven. A minor seven flat five is the sixth chord. D minor seven flat five is the two chord, and G seven is the five chord. Right. So, just understanding some things like this um, about the minor keys are going to be helpful. Again, all of this you can actually learn what the common uh, minor key chord progressions are simply by studying jazz standards. Remember, my my main philosophy for how to learn jazz is learning jazz standards and applying everything to jazz standards. So um, that's that's as far as chords go. Let's go to scales. Okay. Now, my philosophy on scales is um, it's interesting. Again, I like I don't like to think that my philosophies are super rigid. Um, however, based on experience, um, there about scales, I do have a little bit of a stronger opinion and that is scales are not necessarily the best for learning how to improvise. And that might seem to someone listening to this podcast, like blowing your mind right now, because for example, you may have learned the blues scale over top of a blues and that was huge for you, like groundbreaking. Like now I know how to play, not like just knowing what that scale was opened up an entire world for me. So absolutely, like scales can be very useful for understanding different melodic, um, basically notes that you can pick from over top of a chord or or a set of chord progressions, right? But as far as... Um, should scales be like the primary method for learning how to improvise? No. Again, I like to think of scales more as tools. They're tools that you can use, but there's a lot of other things that we should be using instead of scales. So scales are great for technique. So as far as knowing your instrument, as far as getting fingerings on your instrument and getting command on your instrument, scales are a very natural and easy tool to work with to get that down. And absolutely for jazz and jazz improvisation, being able to navigate your instrument well is important. So scales are helpful for that. Scales, again, are also helpful just for understanding like, okay, how do I build a chord? Because if I have a C major scale, you know, and we just play the root, the third, the fifth, and the seventh, then we have a C major seventh chord. But what are the notes in between? Well, that's the C major scale, C, D, E, F, G, A, B, right? So yes, scales help create a fuller picture of what can actually happen with jazz harmony. And yes, scales can be used for um, you know, melodic, we call it chord scale theory, like actual application. For example, if you see a C major seven flat five chord or C major seven sharp 11th chord, you may wonder, well, how do I improvise over that? Well, you could think of, of playing a scale like the uh, the Lydian scale, right? That could be an option you play. So if you see a, a C major 7 sharp 11, you could play a C Lydian scale. So knowing what a C Lydian scale actually is, is pretty helpful, right? Um, or there's another way to look at it, which is you could play a B minor pentatonic scale, right? That actually also helps outline the sharp 11 sound in that chord and other and other uh, chord tones and, and scale tones that outline that chord actually quite nicely. So that can be really helpful, right? And it may be some, some, for someone, a concept, a chord scale theory concept can be a light bulb moment. So by no means am I saying, don't like forget about scales. They're not helpful. They're not useful. I just don't believe that they're actually 
the primary source of learning improvisation. And we'll get to my my philosophies on improvisation in one second. So I won't go into that yet. But I don't think that skills should be the primary um, should be the primary use of learning. But skills again are useful for all the things uh, certainly that I just mentioned. Now, as far as what skills what I say are the most essential for learning jazz, right? What are the most essential skills for learning jazz? I talked about this a little bit in my last podcast episode, talking about the top questions that I get about jazz. But for me, it would be the modes of the major scale are the most important ones. Um, Now, that would be simply, again, if we just have a C major scale, well, technically, if if we start that scale, on any of the scale tones. So instead of starting on C and ending on C, you could start on D and end on D. And that's just simply called the Dorian mode. But again, it's just a C major scale starting on the D and ending on the D. And then you have um, starting on the E and ending on the E. That's the third tone of the scale. Well, that's the Phrygian mode. And they have these fancy names, so they sound intimidating that way. But honestly, they're not that complicated when you think about this. And then when I really think about their usefulness as far as improvisation, well, okay, it can be very helpful to understand that a 2-5-1 chord progression, technically, you could play any note from the parent scale, right? So if it's a 2-5-1 in B-flat major, you can play any note in B-flat, the B-flat major scale, right? Um, now, that won't serve you so well as spelling out the chord changes, again, hence why scales are very limiting as far as improvisation goes. But that can be helpful to know. It can be helpful to understand uh, and make those connections of the commonality of tonal centers that exist, right? Or, you know, a lot of people wonder, how do I improvise over a half diminished chord, a minor seven flat five chord? You'll see those come up in minor harmony a lot in jazz standards. How do you do, like, what are some choices? Well, one choice is the Locrian mode. Again, that sounds scary. That's just the seventh mode of the major scale. So it's, uh, again, if we're trying to play, uh, let's say, an A minor 7 flat 5, well, the Locrian mode is the last mode of a major scale. So A would be the lead tone or the last note of the B flat major scale. So essentially, over an A minor 7 flat 5, you can play a B flat major scale. Now, a Locrian mode would be starting on the A note, so it'd be starting on A and ending on A, B flat major scale. But really, you're just playing a B flat major scale. So these tools, chord scale theory, absolutely can be helpful. But we can also go down this huge rabbit hole of chord scale theory, and I advise... Um, mostly against not getting distracted by it. So that's why I say don't focus too much on scales when it comes to jazz improvisation, but rather think of them as just like another tool that you can pull out and work with. But I certainly would much rather you spend time working on other things rather than scales, at least when it comes to jazz improvisation. Now, there's a lot more to learn about music theory that will be helpful, like what are extensions and alterations to chords? What's a tritone substitution, right? All these things. But really, in my mind, what happens with this music theory stuff is the more you learn new jazz standards, the more you just randomly pick up these concepts and you learn about them, right? So again, music theory, jazz theory, it doesn't necessarily have to be 
um, so super emphasized. Like just a little bit of music theory goes a long way. You can pick up little bits uh, as you go along. Um, again, I mentioned the tritone substitution that might just come up by learning it in a tune that might just come up um, where you realize that you could play a tritone substitution instead of a five chord going to a one chord. And that will create like some altered sounds basically over like as if you were playing altered sounds over the five chord. So again, that's where music theory can be helpful, but I don't want you to ever get bogged down with music theory because I think that, um, you know, there, there, again, there is this, this, this temptation. I haven't mentioned this yet, but there's this temptation that we work on music theory that ends up sounding less musical and more calculated. Like, if you're playing scales, it sounds more like you're playing scales than melodies, or you're trying to apply a very specific harmonic concept. It's like you're trying to force a harmonic concept rather than being melody forward, okay? So that's music theory and kind of the way I think about it as far as learning jazz. Okay, so jazz improvisation. Let's move to the next one, jazz improvisation. What what are my philosophies around actually improvising, which is kind of like the star of the show, right, when it comes to jazz, right? So remember... Um, I'm a big fan, again, of applying everything to a jazz standard and not saying that you have to apply everything to the whole tune, but just the chord progressions within those tunes, right? So that's, that's something, again, I just want to help you, help you keep in mind for sure. So jazz improvisation, when it comes down to it, there are, there are different kind of subcategories of this. The main one that I want to emphasize is the language part of it, right? Learning the language of jazz, right? And what I mean by that, I mean, just like any language that you would learn, you have to listen to it and you have to mimic it or copy it. And I'm definitely not alone as a teacher. Um, in fact, I'm, I would be, I would be, if I was a if I didn't say these things, I would be a minority. Um, to say that a great practice is to learn parts, um, if not entire solos of great jazz musicians, um, like whoever you like, right? Like uh, Sonny Stitt or, um, you know, Bill Evans, whoever, whoever you like to uh, West Montgomery, whoever you like. Um, to learn their solos, to try to get an idea of like, hey, what are they doing over top of jazz standards, right? So if I'm learning a jazz standard, for example, right, which is the main thing we should be doing, well, it's a great idea to go, well, hey, how did Miles Davis play a jazz solo over top of this? And let's learn it, right? Um, now, again, learning it by sheet music, like a solo by sheet music or by ear, by ears, it's always the best way. But again, doesn't mean you can't learn from reading sheet music, just memorize it. Always memorize because we want to try to internalize this information just like you would if you're trying to learn a new language, right? Because it's it's really sort of the same thing. Like if I'm trying to learn how to, um, like a language that I'm interested in learning is Greek because my wife's family is very is Greek. I was about to say very Greek. They are Greek. So it'd be helpful for me to learn that language. And when I'm working on learning that language, it is of zero help to me if I'm not actually memorizing and being forced to recall actual sentences and words and terminologies, right? And it's the same with jazz. Um, but it's it's even more helpful than someone just telling me um, a word or a sentence. It's even more helpful if I'm hearing actual dialogue and understanding the context of which words and sentences are being spoken, right? Making a different connection. So learning how to play a solo um, from a great jazz musician over top of half of a chorus, a whole chorus, right? 
that's going to be super, super, super important and very helpful to, to uh, my process for learning actually how to play jazz, right? So 100%, I, I really, really, really recommend making that um, at least a semi-regular thing that you do. And the intention, not necessarily that you remember how to play those solos forever or that you play them verbatim, you're just simply gathering. Um, the next part of my philosophy is composition. I really believe in composition. Um, if you've been listening to this show for a while or you're one of my inner circle members, you probably heard me say this a lot. Like composing is a great way to slow the improvisation process down um, so that you are really starting to figure out, hey, I learned this solo by Sonny Rollins, but what would it look like if I took some of those ideas for myself and composed my own one chorus solo over top of all the things you are, right? Giving yourself the chance to really apply the information you know, confirm things that you can hear in your head, dream up a great solo rather than going straight to improvisation, which you can and you should, but giving yourself that opportunity because really you you need to slow this process down for yourself in order to give yourself the opportunity to come up with these ideas. So composing is, to me, a really important part of my teaching. Now, again, I mentioned that my philosophies have evolved, and this is certainly one that I didn't start out with. I didn't start out with comp composing being a huge focus of my teaching, but more and more over the years, it's really started to take center because I just realized and have found that it's very helpful for not only um, making you feel motivated and proud of what you're doing, but um, helping you slow this process down so you can kind of give yourself the intellectual um, bandwidth to actually go through this. Because, you know, improv improvising is like reacting. Composing is thinking about it, right? So reacting. Reacting doesn't give you a lot of time to critically think. So composing gives you the opportunity to critically think about what you're actually playing. Okay, so that's composing. Now, let's go to the jazz theory side of improvisation because again, it is important still. And I talked about how scales shouldn't be the focus. Well, what should be the focus in my mind is chord tones. So if there's, if there's one thing that you take away from this today, as far as music theory goes, it's focus on chord tones when you're trying to learn a jazz standard and improvise over it. Try to know the chord tones forwards and backwards. And um, why, how did I come up with this philosophy? Well, really, I came to realize that the difference between, and, you know, this is back when maybe I was a little bit more of a novice improviser, but I realized, especially over the years, what I was lacking or the thing that I was always like, man, if I could only sound like this jazz musician, if I could only play like this, the thing that I was missing was really spelling out those chord tones, those chord changes, right? And a level up from that was not just being able to spell them, but also being able to effectively resolve to them, like creatively resolve to them in a melodic way. And the only way you can learn how to creatively resolve to chord tones is by knowing them so well, uh, muscle memory, uh, in your ear, hearing them in your ears, practicing the resolutions. So making it all about chord tones. So I always like to think, start your improvisations um, by trying to figure out or start practicing improvisation with chord tones. 
like if I even try practicing only playing chord tones, um, that can be a challenge, but it's a good practice as well. So only chord tones, right? And don't worry about scales yet because scales, again, um, those are just filler notes. Those are notes in between. But the chord tones are what we want to be really emphasizing and figuring out. So if there's one thing you really take from music theory, from my philosophies, it's start with chord tones and really spend a lot of your time and effort trying to figure out how to uh, melodically resolve to those, right? Because as soon as you start really figuring out like the the secret of like, hey, resolve to the third when you're going to the five chord, resolve to the seventh, or you could resolve to the, the fifth or the root as well, or the seventh as well. But like once you're really doing that, uh, you'll start really noticing the 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 notes that make your solos pop, that make your chord tones pop out, which is really what makes great jazz musicians sound so great. Is like how are they just flawlessly melodically resolving to these chord tones? So for for theory, focus on chord tones. Okay, so that's jazz improvisation, and that's really mostly what I focus on with jazz improvisation. It's learning material. So whether it's um, great solos from the jazz musicians you like, parts of the solos, yes, licks, licks are fine too, shorter pieces of information, like over a chord progression, um, or from etudes, like we do etudes in our inner circle, we compose etudes for our members, um, but also composing. So, com- so it's learning and composing. And then yes, practicing improvising for sure, just like you have to practice it. But then also focusing on chord tones over and above everything else as far as theory, okay? So that's jazz improvisation. Now, the last topic um, in my philosophies for teaching and learning jazz is practicing, okay? And I, I save this one for last because honestly and truly, I actually think that this is sort of the most important one uh, the most important philosophies that I have that I've really built my brand of learn jazz standards around that I've really um, focused on so much. And that's because I've spent so much time practicing uh, and I've, I've really come to learn what works and what doesn't work and how do we practice and all. And, and I just find that the real big difference for people is how they're practicing, what they're practicing, that is either helping them really accelerate their jazz skills or severely slowing them down and limiting them in their improvement. So one of the biggest philosophies that I've actually more recently adopted um, is you do not need to practice more than the time that you already have to practice now. Okay, so you do not need to practice more than the time that you already have available to you to practice now. In other words, you can make improvement in your jazz playing and your musicianship, even with little practice. I really believe that. And that's because it goes to my core philosophy of of consistency. Keep it consistent, right? I think consistency playing the long game with learning how to play music and jazz is much 
more effective is much better than trying to play the short game. And the short game is, is the typical, um, new year's resolution. I'm going to lose like 50 pounds, you know, this year or whatever. And so you get there to day one, you go to the gym, you sign up for the gym, uh, you do your first workout and you're not used to working out and you're tired and you feel horrible. And, um, you know, the, you're not really, you're not really getting the endorphins yet of, of it. And, and you get burnt out so fast, right? That you end up just not practicing practicing at all later. And that certainly can happen when people enter jazz with the mentality of, I need to practice a lot in order to improve. I do believe this is a limiting belief to believe this. And I don't think that it's helpful for you to actually hold on to that belief. So I want to encourage you to start believing, but also taking action on, hey, how much time do I have to practice now? Let's not necessarily try to fit more practice time in, not that that's not a good thing, but let's just try to figure out with the time I have, what can I actually do with the practicing? And then that sort of directs what you actually work on in your practice sessions from there on out, right? Now, again, I mentioned as far as what to practice, I already talked about jazz standards and we talked about a lot of the other things. So I won't focus so much on the what to practice because I think I've kind of already talked about a lot of that stuff in the other philosophies. But the main thing is to always make sure that you have set up goals that have actual step-by-step strategies involved. Okay, so goals with step-by-step strategies. Now, all this stuff sounds super not sexy, and a lot of people kind of lose me at this point. It's not great marketing to talk about goals. Um, I think I came out with a YouTube video uh, several months ago, and it was essentially, I, I started talking about goals within the first like one minute of the video, and you can just see the retention just drop off. And like that video didn't do very well. And it's not because it's not important, it's just because it's not interesting for people to hear about this. But in reality, what I've learned is if you set up project goals, for example, um, let's say you learn one jazz standard a month, um, that's a very manageable goal. That's a very realistic goal. It's a great uh, goal to set that will allow you to move on to the next thing after that, right? So if you have that project goal set up, that that's, that's a, a mile marker that you have established that you're able to now slice things up into smaller pieces to go, okay, well, I'm trying to learn a jazz standard. Well, what do I want to do? Well, uh, okay, let's see. I don't have, I have 30 minutes of practice today. Okay. I have about like two hours of practice a week. So how am I going to learn this jazz standard? Well, I need to learn the melody. I need to learn the chords and I want to practice improvising over it, but I need to get better at learning jazz language. So maybe I should learn the first eight bars of of this etude um, or this solo by ear, and that would that would be really good. That would help me, like at least have a good grasp on this tune by the end of the month, right? So then, what you do is you just break it down further into smaller pieces, into smaller chunks. So week number one, I'm learning the melody. Okay, so in practice session number one, I have to learn the first X amount of bars, right? In the next practice session, I have to learn the X amount of bars, right? Depends on how much time you have. Depends on a lot of other factors how you break this down, but that's how I would do it personally, right? Okay, now I need to learn the chords. Okay, so go through to learn the chords. Um, use the use a lot of strategies that I won't talk about today to do that, uh, right? So you do that. Then week number two, week number three, you're going to be working on uh, the learning the etude by ear. Awesome. Okay, working on the etude by ear um, or the solo by ear. Okay, learning it, memorizing it. Got it. Okay, the last week, 
okay, I'm going to practice improvising over it, or I'm going to compose my own solo over it, or, or half of a solo over it, how much time you have, right? And that's how you do it. And suddenly you actually know what you're going to be practicing rather than picking up your instrument and not really having an idea of what you're going to be doing. And you actually have something that is going to make you feel accomplished. Like, wow, look, I learned this jazz standard. I learned this piece of this solo and I learned the melody and I learned the chords and I practice improvising over it a little bit. Awesome. What's the next goal? And that's how you stay motivated. Um, And that's how you, by the way, that's how you also keep it fun. That was one of my core philosophies. You're trying to keep it fun. You're trying to keep it a a game, right? A game of learning, a game of like leveling up, right? That's how I like to look at it. Um, I even like to make it fun sometimes by like, hey, I just learned a new jazz standard or hey, I just did this thing. Um, I'm going to go make myself a cocktail tonight, right? Or whatever you like to do, like whatever your thing to do. I'm going to go out to dinner tonight. Um, I'm going to celebrate, right? You can celebrate musical success, right? It doesn't have to be someone's birthday to do it. You You can celebrate in any way you want to, right? So I really believe this about practice. I really believe that if you have these project goals set ahead of you and you're constantly filling your practice sessions, just the amount of time you have to practice with things that end up going additionally equaling that goal, then you're going to get forward motion and you're constantly going to be learning. Um, Again, I think one month is a good period to set a goal, but if it's a bigger project, then you make it a three-month project, but break it into smaller goals, right? So you can always break things down. That's how a lot, what a lot of my courses are actually like is really set up that way. And they're not perfect in the sense that they're not catered to any one individual because everybody has different practice times and, and so on and so forth that they can use to spend. But, um, they are all set up that way because I do truly believe that that is going to be the most effective for you, right? It's going to be the most effective for you to learn and to grow. So, that's really important. One other philosophy I have, which is going to sound really funny because you're listening to this podcast or you've, you've, you've consumed all of my blog articles that, that like well, we have, I think we have over a thousand art blog lessons, mini blog lessons on our website. Um, or you've been checking out my YouTube channel. And one thing that I really truly believe is don't get lost in content, right? Like just focus again on what's the goal? How do I get to the goal? And the tools that you need to help you get to that goal, right? Um, So if you're just going to podcast episode to podcast episode to YouTube video to YouTube video, but you're not really taking action on anything or you're not really uh, creating a plan for actually learning, you're probably wasting your time. So knowledge is only knowledge if you're actually applying what you're learning, right? If you're doing the thing, right? So the danger of like listening to this podcast, for example, or the danger of surfing jazz lessons on YouTube is that you can get into this content hamster wheel of jumping from thing to thing to thing and consuming and hearing and going, wow, that's cool, but then never actually making a plan to use it, right? So that's something I would say. And this happens with, by the way, music method books are probably the most notorious for this, right? Like how many music method books do you probably have that you've, you've really barely even touched or you've, you've barely intimate implemented the, the concepts because you buy the book and you're all excited about having the book and you're like, wow, this is so cool. But if you don't ever take the action on it, right, then it becomes a problem, right? 
And that's the same with anything. It's the same if you became an inner, one of my inner circle members, or you join one of my courses, or you join somebody else's course, like, or you bought somebody's book. Like, if you don't really like take action on any of that stuff, then probably you're not going to improve no matter what. Right. Um, but again, part of my practice philosophy is like, Hey, if you only have 30 minutes to practice, that's all you need. Right. That's all you need. Make it fun. Like, all these things make it more doable when it comes to practice. Okay. So those are my philosophies on practicing. And really, again, I do believe that practicing is probably the most important thing. It's not the sexiest thing that everybody wants to hear about, but it really is to me, the difference between what, what, what an amateur jazz musician who kind of stays stuck there for a long time versus someone who I see continuously improving. That's really the difference. That's the secret sauce for, for people. Okay. So these are my philosophies on jazz. Hope you found these helpful and hope that you take action on some of these. All right, that's all for today's show. Thank you so much for listening. Thank you for tuning in. I do appreciate you as always. Um, hey, by the way, if you need help taking action on any of this stuff, obviously we have our inner circle membership. I always shamelessly promote it. Um, because it's something that I truly believe and not only believe, but have seen to have a high impact for my students, right? It's a, it's something that it's not just something that I promote because, you know, we're trying to make our revenue numbers, which we are, but it's also just something that it truly is a product that I'm excited about. It's truly something that I believe is a good solution and can help you. So check it out at lgsinnercircle.com. Sign up, become a member there. And I'll, again, remember to take action. And I think you'll be in really good hands. All right, we're gonna cut out another episode of the podcast coming right up. So please make sure you subscribe wherever you listen to podcasts and we'll see you back then. Until then, happy practicing and cheers. Thanks for listening to the LJS Podcast, brought to you by LearnJazzStandards.com. Subscribe to the series on iTunes, and don't forget to join our jazz community at LearnJazzStandards.com forward slash newsletter. Hey, podcast listener, would you like to ask me a jazz question and get it answered here on the show? Then go to learnjazzstandards.com forward slash ask. That's learnjazzstandards.com forward slash ask. I look forward to hearing your question and answering it on a future podcast episode. Learnjazzstandards.com forward slash ask or find the link in today's show notes.